Before I dive in today's message, I want to just tell you how proud I am to be the pastor of First Scottsdale. Uh, I, I want to brag on you for just a moment. You see, we just celebrated Easter last Sunday, and we literally had over 100 volunteers that stepped up over the, the week of Easter, the Passion Week, and Easter Day, so that people could hear the gospel of Jesus. And, and guys, I, I am so proud of the number of people who stepped up to serve meals to those who were volunteering, to those who were uh, serving in the Passion Play, whether actors or, or being in the orchestra or choir singers or stage uh, uh, people and sound and tech. Um, uh, we had tons of people that volunteered on the Sunday morning of Easter to uh, serve others and to love on them, to, to serve breakfast, donuts, coffee, all sorts of things. Uh, and just let me say, I am incredibly proud to be a pastor, be the pastor of a church that serves so much. So from my heart to you, I want to say thank you. This has been an amazing Easter season, and I'm very proud to call myself the pastor of First Scottsdale. So again, thank you so very much uh, for all that you've done to serve Jesus through our church. Now, let's dive into today's message. I want you to take your Bibles, and I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 5. Now, Matthew might be a little bit difficult to find, especially if you're not familiar with where it's located in your Bible. Uh, so here's what I would encourage you to do if you're not sure how to find it. If you're in a physical Bible, just go to the table of contents. Uh, you'll find that Matthew is the first book in the big section called the New Testament. Uh, so locate the New Testament. Matthew's that first book. Go there, then flip over to chapter five. Now, if you're in an app, just pull down the list of the books of the Bible. Matthew's around two-thirds of the way down that list. So Matthew chapter 5. Have you ever heard of a hoax? Have you ever believed something that maybe you later found out was actually a complete fake? Uh, I've told the in my testimony many times, uh, I, in my early college years, studied biology and evolution at a pretty high level. I was very interested in the subject. I still study it today because I find it so fascinating. Uh, but in my studies, one of the things that I learned about was this incredibly uh, detailed hoax uh, that took place in the early 1900s. The hoax is commonly known as Piltdown Man. Uh, Piltdown Man was this discovery in 1912. They, they discovered a partial skeleton and a skull, and, and they believed this remained of a missing link in human evolution. Uh, and they had a lot of evidence there. There was a lot that they found. And so Piltdown Man became this kind of cornerstone uh, a piece of the evolutionary uh, progress of the, the human species. Uh, it started getting published in textbooks and they were teaching it in school. They were making replicas of the findings and putting them in museums. And it was this, this huge thing. And then, in 1953, a scientist came along and decided he wanted to look in more at Piltdown Man with more detail. And so he gained access to the original uh, skeleton, the original skull. And he began doing some very detailed analysis, some scans, some x-rays. And as he began to analyze it more internally and more detailed, he discovered that the entire thing was a massive hoax. That the man who had discovered it had taken a human skull, 
placed on it an orangutan uh, jaw and inserted a few pig bones here and there to create a different looking skull that didn't look quite human that we would see today. And he brought out, he published his findings, and it was revealed that the man who found Piltdown Man, who found that evidence, had created the entire thing. He had taken uh, a a lot of time and, and put these pieces together so that he would become famous. And it's probably one of the more famous scientific hoaxes in all of history, Um, And we studied it in in my studies in college to understand uh, how to examine evidence and and what to look at uh, when you're trying to figure out if something's true or not true. Uh, Let me flip this around to us in a spiritual way. Have, Have you ever wondered if your faith, if your life, if your belief in Jesus is real or fake? Or maybe go a little deeper. Have you ever wondered if maybe there's something about your faith, about your beliefs that maybe they're not quite complete or uh, maybe there's something that you've misunderstood or that you don't have quite right in your pursuit of Jesus? Well, have you ever thought maybe you're missing something in your faith? Well, I think it's something that all of us need to stop and ask ourselves. I mean, the Bible encourages us to examine our faith regularly and to allow the Holy Spirit to reveal to us the ways that our faith falls short or sin that we may have allowed to creep in uh, or uh, things that we believe that don't align with God's word. God's word tells us continuously that we're supposed to be examining the scriptures, allowing the Holy Spirit to examine us so that our faith is as pure as possible. And so please hear me. I think it's very good for you and I to to constantly examine uh, our faith uh, to ensure that it's true. Uh, But today, I want to take a look at some things in that area because luckily for us, the Bible has a lot to say about what true faith looks like. And I think many times we think we know what true faith may be, but maybe we're off a little bit. Maybe we've got a few things that need to be adjusted or changed in the way that we think our faith should be lived. And as a result, we need to reveal those so that our faith can be purer, so that it can be more true. Uh, and since the Bible talks so much about it, we're going to do a whole series on this. We're, we're starting a new series uh, on the Beatitudes. Uh, the Beatitudes are a series of statements that Jesus places at the very beginning of a sermon that he gives in Matthew chapter 5. Uh, this sermon is commonly known as the Sermon on the Mount. Um, And John Stott, who is a famous theologian, says this about the Sermon on the Mount. He says, the Sermon on the Mount is the nearest thing to a manifesto that Jesus ever uttered, for it is his own description of what he wanted his followers to be and do. You see, the Sermon on the Mount teaches us what it looks like to truly be a follower of Jesus. And over the next few weeks, We're going to be examining the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, the introduction, which is commonly known as the Beatitudes, a series of statements that Jesus says uh, to, to start it out. So let's take a look at the Beatitudes. Take your Bibles. Look with me in Matthew chapter 5. We're going to begin in verse 1. 
Matthew 5, verse 1. It says this, Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on a mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them. Verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So Jesus begins this Sermon on the Mount. Again, John Stock calls it his, his manifesto, his statement of what it truly is to be a follower of Jesus. And he begins with these series of statements. And all of these series of statements begins with the phrase, blessed are. Blessed are so-and-so. Blessed are those who. And the consistent phrase blessed are or blessed are is where we actually get the word, the name, the beatitudes. You see, the Latin word for blessed is beatus. Beatus. So we, we, we took beatus and we, we transliterated it into the beatitudes. And, and so the beatitudes uh, are these sayings of what truly blessed people of God are. But I want you to notice some things in this, and we'll talk about this all through the series that we're going to do on the Beatitudes. There is a stark contrast or unexpected blessing in every single one of these. They're not what you would expect to find in a series of blessings. You know, each one speaks of a person going through something that is seemingly negative, or brings a negative aspect or a humble aspect to the way they live or their, their life. Um, despite humility or despite a, a difficulty in their life, they're called blessed. Uh, the, 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 this blessing always or usually counters the negative thing that they're going through as well. Uh, for example, in, in verse 3, it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Uh, so it's talking about someone who is poor, yet has the greatest infinite kingdom in existence. So they have a kingdom, yet they're called poor in spirit. Uh, and so there is a stark contrast that we see there. Uh, and so they all have this stark contrast or unexpected aspect of being blessed. But they also speak always of one's uh, thoughts or attitudes or motives. Uh, they're, they're more than just a, uh, there's nothing physical uh, about the blessedness. Uh, but I want you to notice what's not there. It never says blessed are those who have right beliefs. It never says blessed are those who are successful. It's always talking about some attribute of God 
or desire that God wants us to live in that makes us truly blessed. So let's go back for a moment to the idea that the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus's manifesto of what it looks like to truly follow him, as John Stott puts it. You see, the Beatitudes, if the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus's manifesto, then the Beatitudes are the introduction. And an introduction in a manifesto is the foundation that you build a manifesto on. And so this makes the, the Beatitudes as the intro of Jesus' manifesto, it makes them vital to everything that Jesus is going to teach in the next three chapters. The Sermon on the Mount goes through Matthew 5, 6, and 7, three full chapters. And so what is the foundation of living for Jesus, of following him? How do we begin to live in righteousness, for example? Righteousness is us being in right standing before Jesus. Well, the Beatitudes tells us what righteousness is. Again, we, there, there are aspects of righteousness like obedience, for example, obedience to God's law. That's huge. But the Beatitudes are what Jesus emphasizes when it comes to being in a right relationship with God. So what are the Beatitudes? Being poor in spirit, mourning, meekness, being hungry and thirsty for righteousness, being merciful, being pure of heart, being peacemakers, and being persecuted. These are the foundations of righteousness according to Jesus. This is the beginning, the, the, the first steps to living rightly for Jesus. We can't live rightly before God without these, these thoughts, these attitudes, and these motives. Now, I want to take a little sidetrack here for just a minute. I want you to take your Bible again. We're in Matthew 5. I want you to look at Matthew 5 and fast forward to verse 20. Jesus makes a pretty bold statement here in verse 20, and I think it speaks to just what we want to have if we want to have true faith, not a, not a fake faith, not a hoaxed faith. Look at verse 20. Jesus says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, when I read this in my uh, you know, earlier days, I struggled with this statement. Because how is my righteousness supposed to exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees? I mean, we're talking about the religious elites of Jesus' day and time. And Jesus is telling me that my righteousness is supposed to exceed these religious elites' own righteousness. It's a big statement. But we need to understand, in order to understand it, we need to take Jesus' statements about the scribes and Pharisees deeper. What else did Jesus say about the scribes and Pharisees? Well, if you fast forward into Matthew 23, Matthew 23 has a series of woes, a, a series of uh, what are you, scribes and Pharisees, and then he would explain why the woe is being passed to them. So it's literally the polar opposite of the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are, blessed are, and in Matthew 23, it's woe is, the, woe are the, the scribes and Pharisees because, and he gives this line of reasoning. 
But in Matthew 23, verses 27 and 28, Jesus says this. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. You see, the righteousness of the Pharisees and the scribes was that uh, their righteousness was external only. They had no problem with harboring hatred or, or greed or, or lust or selfishness as long as they didn't physically commit some kind of sin. You know, the entire Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, the entire sermon is a condemnation of that. If you go on to read the entire Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is teaching all about how our, our thoughts and our attitudes and our motives are the foundation to that outward external living. That without those, without the, the thoughts and attitudes and motives being in line with God, then our external life will not be righteous. And that leads me actually to today's big idea. If you've ever listened to one of my messages, you know that I don't usually give three points. I like to give one point that I want you to really remember and meditate on throughout the week, remembering what the message was about. And today's big idea is this. Our thoughts, attitudes, and motives produce a righteous life, not vice versa. You see, a righteous life does not develop the right attitudes and thoughts and motives. The, the right thoughts and attitudes and motives produce a righteous life. It's not vice versa. Uh, the foundation of our righteousness from Jesus and through Jesus is to have our thoughts, our attitudes, our motivations to be in line with him. If we want our righteousness to exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees, then our righteousness cannot be external only. It has to be founded with having the thoughts, having the attitudes, having the motives that Jesus has and allowing that the, Jesus' thoughts and attitudes and motives to, to move through us and dictate everything about our lives. In other words, our righteousness is not about what we do as much as it is about the motivations or thoughts or the attitudes behind what we do. It begins there. You see, what pours out of our lives, the things we do, come out of us because of what's inside of us, our thoughts, our attitudes, and our motives. And so if we want to live righteously, if we want to live our life for Jesus, it begins with everything that's internal. And we have to remember that. So how do we begin aligning our thoughts and our attitudes and motives with that of Jesus by living out the Beatitudes. And that's why we're gonna spend a few weeks going through each of the Beatitudes and understanding how each of those thoughts and attitudes and motives impact how we live our lives for Jesus. Because it begins there. That's where it starts. So again, 
I want you over this next week to think about your attitudes, thoughts, and motives and how they lead you to live like Jesus, to live a righteous life. But I want you to also spend some time this week just thinking about the attitudes say, what they are. So let me say it again. Being poor in spirit, mourning, being meek, being hungry and thirsty for righteousness, being merciful, being pure heart, being peacemakers, and being persecuted. Now again, there's no discussion here from Jesus about having right beliefs. Having right beliefs is uh, vitally important to us. It's a good thing to have right beliefs, but those right beliefs are not the ultimate foundation of our faith and our righteousness. It's the Beatitudes that are those, those foundations. You know, success is not part of the Beatitudes. Your success, whether in relationships or in your career or financially or whatever, your success does not determine your right standing with God. It does not re- determine your righteousness. What determines your righteousness is living out the Beatitudes. And I also want you to notice that the Beatitudes are closely related to the fruit of the Spirit that's mentioned in the book of Galatians. And so, have you focused too much on your external behaviors while neglecting the thoughts, attitudes, and motives that Jesus really wants you to focus on? How well are your thoughts, attitudes, and motives aligned with Jesus? Those are the questions I want you to ask this week. Because if you can look internally, just like that Piltdown Man hoax, once you really began to examine, once it was really examined in 1953, the internal, and they scanned the internal uh, of that, that, that uh, physical evidence, they began to realize that it was fake. It looked great on the outside. But once they began to examine internally, they recognized that it was a fake, that it was a hoax. We need to examine ourselves and what's happening internally. What's happening with our thoughts, our attitudes, our motivations for living for Jesus? Where are you at with those things? Your life may be uh, outwardly very righteous and, and that's amazing, that's awesome. That is something God calls us to. But if your righteousness is only in strict obedience and your thoughts and your attitudes and your motivations have not come under the obedience of Jesus, according to him, that's not true faith. And so we're gonna take a closer look over the coming weeks at what the Beatitudes tell us about what real faith looks like. Will you join me as we go to the Lord in prayer? Almighty God, we thank you so much. We thank you for Jesus and we thank you for uh, what he has given us to help us understand what true faith looks like. So Lord, speak to our minds and hearts this week and in the coming weeks as we study uh, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, and help us, Lord, through your Holy Spirit to understand what it is in our lives that we need to change or to uh, adapt a little bit or to tweak in order for our lives, not just our external life, but our internal life as well, our thoughts, our attitudes, and our motives. Help all of our life, all of our being, be in line with Jesus. We thank you, Lord, and we lift all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.